0: You know, I think if you took a survey of uh, 100 Sunday school kids and asked them to name uh, their favorite Bible story from the Old Testament, and this was a game of family feud, uh, the top three answers would include Joseph and the coat of many colors. I mean, I think it would be right up there with Noah's Ark, uh, David and Goliath, Jonah and the whale, so popular. Uh, in fact, that in the early 1980s, it was even made into a Broadway hit musical called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, because, of course, Joseph was a dreamer, and maybe some of you have actually seen it. If not, you can still get tickets uh, to performances in theaters all across this country, starting at about 85 bucks a pop for seats up in the nosebleed section. And that's because uh, the story of Joseph is a beautiful story of reconciliation and a story of reunion as well. Except that before that, it's an ugly story of jealousy and betrayal and resentment and conspiracy and loss and lies and abandonment and sexual advances and abuse and just about anything else that can wreck a relationship if not a family which may explain why they never taught us in Sunday school about how Joseph's, you know, boss's wife seduced him, because I I think I would have remembered that. (laughs) But at the end of the day, and most importantly above all, the story of Joseph is a story of how the most important relationship in your life can have a profound effect on all the other relationships in your life, all the other circumstances of your life. And I I want to get to that a little bit, but first uh, I want to just kind of bring up to speed and uh, review a little bit for you and say that Joseph was the 11th of the 12 children of the patriarch Jacob, and uh, who was the grandson of Abraham himself. And uh, he was also, that is Joseph, the second son of Jacob's wife Rachel, the other of which was Benjamin. But more importantly for our purposes today, Joseph was his father's very favorite child, as evidenced by the fact that, among other things, he gives Joseph this amazing coat made up of many different colors, which is to say, tremendously valuable, very, very expensive. It's kind of like you know when my father gave my older brother a leather jacket and then later gave me a green windbreaker that said United Steelworkers Union on the back of it. <laughs> Not that that ever happened. But that's when the drama begins and uh, Joseph's brothers just become so incredibly consumed with jealousy that they actually try to talk about killing Joseph. Instead, they throw him into a pit where he languishes until they pull him out of the pit and they sell Joseph into slavery to some traders who are coming along. And they take him over to Egypt and they sell him again to an Egyptian tycoon by the name of Potiphar, who is the captain of the Pharaoh's guard, the Pharaoh being the king of Egypt himself. In the meantime, the brothers take this valuable coat of its many colors and they dip it in goat's blood take it back to their father Jacob, and they basically fake Joseph's death, which obviously consumes Jacob with heartache and with grief. Now, you know, you think you got problems in your family? This is a dysfunctional family. (laughs) And yet Joseph is smart, he's handsome, he's resilient, and he is faithful. And over the course of many years, he rises up through the ranks of the slaves and the servants to become the head of Potiphar's entire household. That is, until Mrs. Potiphar makes a passage at Joseph, Joseph, which he rejects on the basis of his convictions, although Potiphar nevertheless jumps to the wrong conclusion and he throws Joseph in jail where he is depressed but where he also meets slaves of the Pharaoh himself who have these crazy dreams and Joseph's a dreamer and so he interprets their dreams for them and the interpretations turn out to be true and the word about that gets out so that ultimately he ends up interpreting the dreams of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt himself, including one dream about an impending famine which results in Pharaoh appointing Joseph to start the storehouse and to make the preparations to get Egypt through the entire famine so that at the end of the day, Joseph turns out to be the most powerful man in all of Egypt, except for the Pharaoh himself. You still with me? Okay, now it's, it's more than 20 years later. And the famine has come. And it is catching up with the remaining sons of Jacob. Or back in Canaan, who by this time are also sorry for what they have done to their brother and the heartache that they have caused to their father Jacob, in addition to the fact that they're worried about whether they and their families were going to starve to death. But they hear that there's food in Egypt. Thanks to a brilliant new prime minister, and so they go to Egypt to beg for food, not knowing that the prime minister of Egypt, the number two guy in the kingdom, the one they'd be dealing with, is none other than their brother. Who says the Bible's not interesting? <laughs> but they don't recognize Joseph because he has grown up, his appearance has changed, they expect him to be a slave and not the second most powerful man in the, in the entire land. And Joseph has also changed his name. He now has an Egyptian name. But Joseph recognizes them. He knows who they are. And through some circumstances that you can read about uh, on your own in Genesis, he determines that they, they really are sorry, they really are remorseful for what they had done, the pain that they had caused him and, and their father. And that's when the curtain rises on the passage that Christy just read for us a moment ago in Genesis 45 when this man clothed in unspeakable power, the boy who was sold into slavery looks at his visitors and he says to them, I'm your brother. Well, Genesis tells us that they were speechless. You know, maybe they thought he was going to throw them into the pit or take them into slavery. I mean, you know, wouldn't you? Instead, the man to whom all this has been done, who has spent his life as a slave, who rose up through the ranks to be clothed in all this power, calls for a family reunion between him and his brothers and their father. After all that heartache, after all that pain, over all those years, and he does it by forgiving them he does it by weeping over them. He does it by talking to them, and he does it by feeding them so that they would live through the famine. And even though there's a little bit more to the story, that's kind of where the episode concludes, leaving us with one very compelling question, and that is: how on? earth. Could Joseph do that? How on earth could anyone do that after what was done to him? And the answer to that question is, it's not about anything on earth. Remember I said that the most important relationship in your life can have a profound effect on all the other relationships in your life, all the other circumstances in your life? Did you hear what Joseph said when he reintroduced himself to his brothers He said to them, God sent me here to preserve your life. God made me like a father to the Pharaoh. God made me as a Lord over the land of Egypt. You guys meant this for harm. God got in and he turned it into something good so that this slave could end up being one who frees people from slavery, to their hunger, to their bondage, to their guilt, and to their shame. Which is to say not that you know, God was, uh, you know, his will was that Joseph was thrown into the pit, it wasn't God's will that he was sold into slavery any more than it's God's will that you know, something bad would happen to you or to somebody in your family, but it is God used that situation and worked through those circumstances to bring about something profoundly transforming and good, not only for the people of Egypt, but for the people of the world, including the members of his own family. In other words, Joseph's primary relationship was his relationship with God. And that's what had the profound effect on all of his other relationships, all of the other circumstances, including his ability to bring back together and reunite a family that was broken apart by the power of sin. Now, you know, I've heard a lot of sermons on this passage from Genesis, and uh, most of them, in fact, all of the ones that I have ever preached on this passage, basically stop at this point to challenge you, to put yourself into the position of Joseph, and to think long and hard about your role as a forgiver of brothers and sisters who have done you wrong. And while it is always good to look at the circumstances in which forgiveness is or is not given under the word of God, uh, today I want to turn the prism just a little bit, and I want to suggest to you That your place in this story is not in the position of Joseph. Your place in the story is in the position of the brothers. We are the brothers. And that's because the one who rightfully has the position of Joseph in the story, ultimately stands in the role of Joseph, is Jesus Christ. The one to whom the story of Joseph ultimately points as we think about all the things that we've done to sin against our brother. All the times that we took what belonged to him and we acted like it really belonged to us. All those times when we just sold out to jealousy, to resentment, to false security in things that you know, are not of him until you wind up in like this Spiritual famine. Where your soul is just, it's starving to death. But when you turn around and you go back to Him, He doesn't throw you into the pit. He doesn't throw you into slavery again. He looks at you and He says to you, I'm your brother. And I know you. And I know what you've done. And I forgive you. And I weep with joy over you. And I wanna talk to you in my word. And I want you to know that you have a place in a family reunion where I'm gonna provide the food so that you will live through the famine of your guilt and of your shame and you will never go hungry again. Listen. I get enough sin in me to get put away forever. But my brother is the living God. And in Him, the walls of separation come down. When I go to Him, hungry, holding nothing in my hands, confessing my sin, trusting in the most important relationship in my life, and the powerful effect it can have on all the other relationships, on all the other circumstances in my life. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this way, if you've ever realized this before, but when you come into this house, when you walk into this room, Sunday morning, Monday evening, whenever you come here, you're coming to the reunion. That is what this is. You're coming to the reunion of the one that is hosted by the brother who suffers because of my disobedience, who pays the price for my freedom. And today's a great day for the reunion because a dozen more children of God are coming for the food of grace for the very first time. After three of them have been baptized into life and family with the one who not only gathers 11 brothers, but a world of brothers and sisters, and all of us here who come to celebrate the goodness of God, the forgiveness and grace, and to dine at his banquet table and to receive that food of grace once again today. And so to, to them, to you, to all of you, I say, welcome to the reunion. The time of celebration has come in honor of the one who has made us a family of many colors and a sweet witness to this world of the transforming power of forgiveness and grace given to us by our host, Jesus Christ, our brother and our Lord. Amen.